Hello and Happy New Year. You're listening to the My Care Champion Cast. I'm your host, Lucicia Matero, Director of Communications at the Michigan Health and Hospital Association. As many listening are aware, cases of verbal and physical violence against healthcare workers have been on the rise, especially during and following the COVID-19 pandemic. These instances are a major barrier to both staff and patient safety and have prompted the need for additional resources, training, and education. Just last month, Governor Whitmer signed a bipartisan package of bills increasing penalties for assaulting healthcare workers on the job. While this is certainly a step in the right direction and one that the MHA and our member hospitals applaud, there's still work to be done. With this in mind, I have two guests joining me today who will speak firsthand about the impact violence has on healthcare workers and feasible solutions that hospitals and health systems can utilize to improve workplace safety. The first guest I'll introduce is Jennifer Monzo, who is Director of Quality and Risk Management at McKenzie Health System, a 25-bed critical access hospital in Sandusky, Michigan. Jennifer is a registered nurse with more than 30 years of healthcare experience and holds a certificate in quality and safety from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, in addition to being certified by the American Hospital Association in Healthcare Risk Management. Jennifer, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Well, as a member of the MHA, we've obviously worked closely with the teams over at McKenzie Health System and recently facilitated a partnership to provide some workplace safety resources through one of our MHA-endorsed business partners, HSS. And before we explore that a bit more, I'll just say that the partnership was really a joint effort through our MHA Keystone Center and a grant from Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. So a quick shout out and thank you to those teams for their work and support in the safety space. But Speaking of HSS, our second guest is Stephen Weiler, who is their Manager for Resiliency Services. HSS is a leader in healthcare, airport, and government facility security, and Stephen is a part of a team that offers a wide selection of planning, training, and exercise offerings to equip organizations like McKenzie Health System with comprehensive safety resources. Prior to working with HSS, Stephen spent over 28 years in law enforcement and was integral in coordinating organizational responses to 9-11, the outbreak of H1N1, and numerous other safety threats. He holds a master's in criminal and social justice administration and also served as an adjunct professor at the University of Illinois and Kaplan University, where his coursework focused on topics related to terrorism, homeland security, and the role of criminal justice in peacekeeping operations. Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Lucy. Great to be here. Well, I'm so grateful to be speaking to both of you today, and I know that you both have a lot of great, unique insight on this topic of workplace violence. But before we move into that, I wondered if maybe you could provide our listeners some background on what led you to your current roles and what inspires you to work in or around healthcare and also in the healthcare safety space specifically. So Jennifer, do you want to kick us off? I sure will. Thank you. So as you said, I'm a nurse by background. Um, I started at this hospital many years ago, and I've been in this current role as risk, risk manager and, and quality manager for the last 17 years. I love working with the entire organization, not just working in nursing fields. And I think it's always interesting to hear their concerns and to help them work through issues that they might have. Um, you think you might have everything handled and then the next day comes around and there's always something new, always something going mm -hmm. on. So it keeps us on our toes. And I'm so fortunate to be able to work with the team that we do. Yeah. What led you to nursing in the first place? Did you have family? I feel like every time I ask that question, it's I had a family member. One of my parents was a nurse. What led you to the nursing field first? It, it, it would be the same thing. My mother was always interested in nursing and worked in nursing as well. I love that. And Stephen, uh, what can you tell us about your history and leading up to the work with HSS? 
Yeah, I spent, uh, as I was saying, I was on the police department and started getting involved in, uh, actually had gone to an incident command class, or incident command system class. <clears throat> and I found it fascinating. You know, just kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we could be, uh, have a, a, a structured process by which bad, when bad things happen, that we could have a structured process to, to respond to that, like to kind of coordinate our efforts. And so I it just, I found that moderately appealing and had continued to go through courses, went to the uh, the ICS 300, 400 level classes. And at the time, this is back in 2007, uh, at the time they were looking for local instructors. So mm-hmm. I got in, so I was uh, went through that, uh, went through the local instructor course and ended up uh, teaching incident command to literally over the years, uh, thousands of first responders and other people, private and, and, and public sector employees, you know, for mm-hmm. uh, police, fire, uh, healthcare, public health, military, uh, and private entities. And, and, and the more I got involved with that, the more I would learn about emergency management. Uh, and I had a great relationship with our uh, Cook County's public health. I was served on their community health advisory council for years uh, with them and really made some, had some great relationships with the public health employees, mm-hmm. uh, ended up connecting with HSS and, and what can we, and as part of our local work that we were doing, we we're connecting with the hospitals as well and really found their preparedness efforts to be just actually quite impressive. Um, and, and the work I was doing on the police department, I just found myself partnering more and more with, uh, healthcare, mm-hmm. uh, ended up meeting, um, our, our, at that time, national director of emergency management with, uh, this is back in 2018, met, met the national director of healthcare or of emergency management with HSS, mm-hmm. talked to him and then, uh, ended up finding a, a, a role for me after, uh, moving on from the police department. So I've been working with HSS for five years and really love working uh, with healthcare. There's absolutely, I mean, I find the the personalities of the, of the people that work in healthcare very similar to the people that work in law enforcement. Yeah. You know, because we deal with people all the time who often are in some sort of crisis, uh, physical crisis, emotional, and, and, and then the emotional crisis and the other things that come along with that. And, and the skills that you need in both, I found, are, are, are incredibly uh, similar. So I just really found myself at home in that kind of space. And and because of the great, and I just know the kind of great work that, that healthcare does, that what can I do? I, and I loved being involved in, in their ability to, I loved being involved with them and helping them have a safe working space uh, and, and being more prepared when when uh, peculiar things come their way or, um, you know, things we can kind of plan for, but not always. So, um, so really just have loved uh, being involved with that, so. That's kind of that. And my brother's a doctor, and my wife's his wife's a DO, and my brother in law's a nurse as well. But yeah, um, so I certainly have a little bit of a or somewhat of a personal connection to that uh, space as well. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, I'm so appreciative of both of your time because I know you're very busy, and you both lend such a unique perspective to this conversation. And to jump into the discussion, we know from the U.S. Uh, Bureau of Labor that healthcare workers are about five times more likely to experience workplace violence than employees in other industries. Jennifer, the first question I had for, have for you is pretty loaded, but from the hospital perspective, can you share what acts of violence are happening in hospitals and where and when they are most common? And also, as a second part of that question, what impact is that having on our healthcare workforce? Yeah, that is a loaded question. Um, I know that our staff is getting tired and they're frustrated. They're seeing um, patients and visitors coming in that seem to be more demanding and just bolder overall. We have a lot of behavioral health patients in the area, and it seems that they have become more violent and aggressive as well. So our staff are needing more support and more direction, and um, we're doing everything that we can to let them know that we're working 
our best to, to keep them safe. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we had HSS come in and do the security risk assessment that spoke volumes to our staff, um, they did a fantastic job of rounding and talking with staff and hearing their concerns and um, giving us some great guidance and suggestions. And I, you know, as we go through this, this talk, we'll get into more about what they recommended for us. But um, I can give you an example of, of one instance. And this happened as we were actually preparing for an active shooter or active assailant drill. We had, um, this was before HSS came in, we had a gentleman from the Department of Homeland Security come up and do a uh, um, assessment and walk through of our facility for us and give us some recommendations. And as we uh, went through those recommendations, we shared them with staff. We updated our policy. We identified some state safe rooms. Um, you know, we looked at our structure. Uh, we looked at our, our policies, as I said. But one of the things that really stuck out to us was his saying that the body won't go where the mind hasn't been. So as we trained for that risk, for that drill, um, we kept that mantra going throughout because staff need to know that no matter where they're at, something could happen. So I might be a lab tech and I know my lab department like the back of my hand, but if something happens and I'm on med surge or in the ER or in the cafeteria, I need to know where my exits are, where my safe rooms are. Um, And so that's been very important. And one thing that I will share that might be helpful to others is that when we were assessing for our safe rooms, so rooms that were lockable with solid walls, et cetera, we identified that we have multiple different locking mechanisms on our doors. And some of them can be very difficult to figure out if you're not used to them. So that was one of the things that we made sure that we included in our education and and preparing for that drill. I'm curious if you're comfortable sharing the I know that people have noted that the instances of violence have gotten worse as a result of the pandemic. Would you agree with that? And where and when are those instances happening in the hospital? So I I would say, yes, I do agree with that for certain. Um, I share one instance that was just um, told to me last week about a nurse that was taking care of a patient in the emergency room. She was wearing her mask because either she was exposed or, or was concerned of being exposed and the patient didn't like her wearing a mask, and he actually reached up and grabbed the mask right off of her face. Wow. But that's some of the things that they deal with. And I, fortunately, that's few and far between. That is not representative of our community by any means. Mm-hmm. We have a great community here. So, and when HSS did our security risk assessment, um, they did a crime risk analysis score for our area or a violence index. And it showed higher within the center of town and much lower outside since we are pretty rural and the population is more dispersed the further out you get. That's what we would expect. Um, but we know that as safe as it might seem sometimes that we have risk, um, violence can happen at any time and, and we need to be prepared, which is why working with HSS was so appealing and beneficial to us. Um, yet we always have an opportunity uh, to learn so that we're ready as can be for the unexpected. Things can happen with a visitor, a patient, an employee, or even a a former employee. And we did have an incident one time that involved a person coming in, uh, speaking with our registration staff, and then suddenly, without any warning, started punching their fist on the glass surrounding the desk, trying to break it. Uh, It didn't break, and they ran out the front door and immediately turned around came back in. Um, They grabbed a chair right there by the door and crashed it through the glass of the front door and the adjacent window, picking up a large piece of glass in their hand. Um, 
the registrar immediately pressed the panic button and we followed up with a uh, call to 911. Um, and then of course, hearing the commotion, a couple of us that were in the area cautiously approached the lobby, um, but we realized we couldn't see into the main lobby. We recently had had a remodel and the doors were changed to a solid wood door in the registration office and a sliding glass door to the main lobby that had like an opaque coating on it. Um, it was actually our CEO who carefully opened that sliding glass door to the main lobby. We couldn't really do anything actually because he was holding that large piece of glass in their hand. So then it was actually our medical director who responded along with the CEO and they were able to get the situation out of con under control and the glass out of their hand before, thank goodness, anyone was seriously injured. Um, and law enforcement showed up pretty quickly, but as we hear about and prepare for, the incident's usually over by the time somebody gets there, and that was the case in this situation. You know, it was over with, and, and things were under control by the time they walked in. But it was um, a learning experience, and we did make some changes after reviewing that incident. We, within a week, had a small window installed in that wood door for better immediate visibility. We replaced the broken glass in the door in the window with tempered glass that won't shatter. We removed that chair that was near that glass door and it got replaced with a bench that's secured to the wall. And we also found it afterwards that our panic button didn't work. So even though we check it regularly, the vendor had made upgrades on their end to four out of the five legs of their system and unfortunately ours was not yet upgraded. So our signal came across to them as low battery and because of that, they didn't trigger a call to central dispatch. So it was a learning experience for that vendor as well. And another change we made was installing a mechanism that allows that front door to be locked right from the front desk. And then also, of course, we had to um, follow up with staff involved. We stayed in close contact with a staff member for a while to make sure that they were okay. And of course, if there's ever a need for, for situations like that, we do have an employee assistance program. So I just share this because hopefully... Um, this can help others be prepared for the unexpected. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine what that must have been like. And not only for the teams that were present that day, but also for the teams that weren't. Because I imagine instances of violence, small and big, have a lasting impact on healthcare teams. What has the reaction been from the healthcare workers at McKenzie Health System as a result of increased rates of workplace violence? What I see is them being tired and worn out and frustrated. I think that we have a fantastic team and they're great support for each other. And we try to be as open um, as far as listening and giving them information on what's coming down the pike to help to keep them safe. But it's different now. And those that are hanging in there are, are real troopers and we're so proud of them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that open line of communication and the fact that your teams are taking steps to improve workplace safety really must make all the difference to the healthcare teams that work there. So one of the questions I also had was, I know that rural hospitals and health systems often, the problems that exist in hospitals are exacerbated in rural communities. Would you say that the workplace violence issue is uniquely impacting rural hospitals like McKenzie Health System? I think we have different challenges as we're a small hospital, nights and weekends are staffed with very, you know, low number of people. And it can be difficult in situations where it's all hands on deck. So you have a heart attack come in, but you might have a, a behavioral health patient also boarded in the ER waiting for transfer. And it just lends to a little bit more stress in the emergency room at that time. 
I would also say that we are very fortunate with our location. We are situated right across the parking lot from the our county sheriff's department and three blocks away from our local city department. So usually we have pretty good um, response times from them. They're extremely supportive. Like Stephen said, we have things in common. We think alike sometimes. And so we're great. You know, we have great relationships with them and we're very fortunate. But there are times when they're out on the road and they're not right at our beck and call, you know, always. That's for certain. And we know that. So we know that we have to be prepared for that. Right. Well, with the instance with the patient who broke the window, it sounds like the healthcare teams who are on site handled that as, as well as they could have. Did you have existing safety protocol that they followed or was this a catalyst to creating a partnership with HSS or was the partnership already, you know, started? Where were you at in the HSS process when that happened? Yeah, so we were fortunate that we were in the process of training for the active shooter drills. So we had had tabletop drills and educational sessions with, with staff. So they acted appropriately when it came. Everybody really did as much as they could in a correct fashion. It was just difficult that the patient was holding that weapon and it made it difficult for anybody to get close to him, you know, to keep him from harming himself. But like I said, we were successful at that eventually. Yeah. And I'm excited to learn more about that partnership and hear from you, Stephen, about the programming that you're working on at McKenzie Health System, but also just other offerings that you have for hospitals and health systems. But um, before we get into that, I do want to ask, knowing that Governor Whitmer signed the bipartisan bills last month to protect healthcare workers on the job, I want to, I'm curious what both of your reactions to that is and um, if you've seen any reaction from your healthcare teams or clients of HSS. Uh, Stephen, do you want to kick us off with this question? Sure. Yeah, of course, as you had said at the outset, that, that I mean, having that legislation in, in place is is tremendous. And over the years of engaging with healthcare mm-hmm. workers as well, that we, we found time and again that, that healthcare workers kind of had that in the back of their head. Like, boy, you know, like it just, it, it was validating for them to, to have that law passed, right? Recognizing the, the importance of their role, uh, not only in their communities, but of, you know, society at large, right? And obviously throughout the state of Michigan, obviously the federal government has been struggling, you know, one reason or another to, to pass a national legislation. So a, a number of states, I think the, I think 40 states or so have, have now passed individual legislation uh, mm-hmm. protecting healthcare workers. So, so really feeling that was an important step. Uh, but of course, as you had said uh, previously, that that's just one step in the process. Um, that, you know, um, we often would see that it's, it's, it's not ma- waving a magic wand across organizations. It's not waving a magic wand across individuals. That there's, it's just one piece of the puzzle of, of, of protecting employees, right? And so um, it, it's just an important piece because it's kind of the... Um, you know, it's it's, it, and we hope we never get to the point where uh, we have to call law enforcement and have to uh, use the criminal criminal justice system to to keep people safe. But but that is nice to know that's there as well. So, uh, but so that was definitely something that a lot of healthcare workers were anticipating and really hoping for uh, to see that yeah. kind of come through. Yeah, Jennifer, what was your reaction, and what was the reaction from your teams? Yeah, well, so our team was really happy to hear about it. Um, I don't think they were all aware of the fact that it's been going through. Um, the House and the Senate. But once it came um, to fruition, they were very happy to hear about that. So it's definitely one step in the right direction. And they feel that the legislators are listening and, and, you know, understanding what's happening. Absolutely. Yes. So Stephen, I think for context, it's helpful maybe if we move into 
learning more about the workplace violence resources that HSS has available for hospitals and health systems. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So we have a variety of offerings that we do. A lot of what we talk about that we do, and not only focus on workplace violence, but kind of emergency management. It was great to hear Jennifer talk about the process they went through a little bit ago as it relates to like first you do training and then, so you want to, you develop plans and then you train people on those plans and then you test those plans either through, uh, through, through exercises and there's a variety of exercises we do. But so we offer a, one of those very basic things that we do is we do a plan assessment. We can look at your plans and, 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 and identify based on gaps or based on best practices, things like that, what recommendations we want to make in that. Things that we see not only within the, the state of Michigan itself, but what are some of the national best practices or the best standards that are out there. And, and people, are, are they adhering to that? And do they incorporate that into their policies? And then, and then we work on some training. Uh, one of the trainings that we offer which uh, has been, we find is, is, has been wildly successful is our de-escalation program, our workplace violence program. We call it TEAM. Uh, it's Techniques for Effective Aggression Management. So that's one of the programs we have and that McKenzie uses that as well. And, and there's a couple parts to that program. One is it, it talks about the verbal de-escalation. What are those good communication skills you can build up with people? Um, and then when, when people are there and they start to escalate their behaviors, so you can be a great de-escalator, but you can do everything right and still that other person is 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 increasing their aggravation, right? Whatever trigger is triggering them to uh, still get angry, and so we have so those verbal de-escalation skills uh, that we have there, and then we have our the other part of the team program is our team advance. That first part, the de-escalation is called team essentials, and we have team advance, which talks about those physical control maneuvers. And in healthcare, we you know the the maneuvers that we have are designed primarily to protect that healthcare worker, that clinical staff member. Uh, originally, the program was developed in the 90s for our security officers. Uh, for you know, One of the things HSS provides is uniform security personnel, and it was designed for those security officers. And after several years, as these officers were using those skills in, in, in healthcare, a lot of clinical staff members would see the response of, of those security officers and say, "But I really like the way they handle this. Where did they get their training from? And we said, well, it's a program we have. Um, so they wanted to get it, so we started sharing that program with uh, you know some hospitals, and then we the program has has evolved a lot to where it's it's everything you see about our team program right now is healthcare. There's a lot of great programs out there, but um, ours is all healthcare. Everything you see is healthcare. The conversations are about healthcare, things like that. So really, we find that the discussions and that really that really resonates with you know in hospitals and healthcare staff. Whether you're an ambulatory clinic or an acute care facility, those kind of things, uh, and, and even from rural to urban uh, settings. So, so again, a workplace violence program. We offer that in person, uh, online, and we also have a train the trainer program that uh, that you can use as well. So that uh, it, you don't have to worry about scheduling us out. You can do that at your own cadence. Um, you can you can have a number of trainers, uh, you know, for your organization, and we really let you as the organization dictate. So then you get to dictate your cadence and your availability and things like that and how many trainers you want to have. And so really developing those individual skills. As Jennifer said, when you're a rural facility or you're, you're there in a room with a patient, it's, you have to have good skills to, to, to deal with those people, to interact with those people who, again, are there having something going on with them. So you really want to make sure that those skills are, are on the top of their game. Right. Uh, I talked to anything about going back to our law enforcement days. I talked to a, a, a state trooper from Alaska and he said he would have to fly into villages. And if he needed backup like somebody else to help him, he said it could be a plane right away. It might be the next day 
and only if the weather was good. So he said, my he said my skills had to be a hundred percent spot on. Um, right. But so yeah. we, we really have to have to have to create the skills for those individual employees, and then and it's part of that we talk about what how do you work as a team. Right? How does that how does that come together? Whether you're pushing panic buttons at work or not, um, or pushing, you know, uh, just having those other. How do we? What is everybody's role in that? So that's 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 our mm-hmm. that's kind of the workplace violence training. There's a lot more to it um, that I won't go into. Um, but we we understand as we talk in the class about that the violence happens on a spectrum. We have those kind of just what they call those microaggressions, those little bit of aggressions, those kind of early stage aggressive uh, um, behaviors that we see. All the way to the active shooter aggressor. So we have an active shooter program uh, that includes not only uh, a classroom tra- or, or training where we can educate people on what the response is. Not uh, we look for those concerning behaviors, what your individual response options are, what to do when law enforcement shows up. We cover stop the bleed, like what are some of the things, kind of giving everybody the best the best chances of survival in an active shooter incident before, during, and after an incident happens. So that's that classroom mm-hmm. piece, and then we then we practice those in 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 what we call our practical exercises. We'll go into your facility, inpatient facilities, active patient care units, uh, uh, administrative offices, IT, HR, you know wherever it's going to be. We've been in EDs, uh, NICUs, mom baby units, ICUs, all over the hospital. Again, active patient care units, and and running active shooter exercises, which. Which are more than just we don't have somebody just kind of showing up with uh, creating acts of violence right out of the way. We 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 have that escalate a little bit, so they get a little bit of de-escalation training. They have to apply some of those de-escalation skills, and mm-hmm. we make assessments based on not just their skill sets, but the technologies that are there. What does the team do to work together? And then um, and then and then what are the response options that are available there? So we practice those, and and then we debrief uh, in those as well. Uh, so we have act, uh, so the workplace violence training, active shooter training. We also do, as as Jen talked about, security assessments. These risk assessments. We come to a what we call like a soup to nuts look at your organization. We look at your hiring, firing practices. We look at your training policies and plans. What are your security programs? What's the what's the system? Why you do your surveillance system? Do you what's the process for examining that, making sure that that's working and intact, that kind of stuff. Also your panic alarms. We'll, we'll go into, we'll talk about what's the process for ensure, maintaining those and testing those. And then when we go to the units themselves, um, we, we ask, you know, we, do, we ask a lot of questions in there. So security risk assessments, kind of a soup to nuts approach again throughout your whole organization. And then we also do, again, one of those other parts is kind of that emergency management exercises. We, you know, keeping people safe, it's not really a workplace violence thing specifically, but if we have acts of violence, if the scenario that we use is an act of violence, then we do surge exercises, evacuation drills, decon exercises, things like that, that, that affect the right. entire hospital or even your, your coalition, your region that you're going to work in. So those are the main, of course, as an organization, those are the things that we work with in our team, our risk consulting and training team. The larger HSS organization, we do provide uniform security to healthcare and other organizations as well. But um, So that's something else that, that we provide. So that's a little bit of a description, but an overarching kind of thing of those four main aspects of the things that we do from our team. Yeah, it sounds like a really comprehensive program, and it sounds like it can be really individualized to each hospital or health system that specific to what they need and what they're looking for. And I'm curious, without giving too much away, are you able to share some of those de-escalation uh, tactics? Maybe we'll just keep it for, you know, microaggressive instances, what can healthcare teams do when they're faced with an aggressive patient 
Um, and we'll just, again, keep it on the micro scale. If somebody's being verbally abusive, uh, what should they do? Yeah, so when you think about what is the person doing, you know, um, one of those very basic things that just kind of our mantra is, is that we talk about just, just your initial things are, what are your safe, we just say your safe working positions. If you could think about what that initial thing is, is how are you standing? And these are some very basic mm -hmm. fundamental things. How is your stance? Uh, and, and this isn't something that's, uh, that comes naturally for a number of people that we find people that will stand there, you know, with their feet right next to each other. Um, their, their legs are stiff, uh, you know, things like that. So we ask them to take a, what we call our L stance. So we have them stand in a specific position. It's kind of an offset position where it doesn't matter if it's your, if your, your dominant foot is forward or back. Oftentimes your dominant foot is to the rear uh, and, your, and your body position is bladed a little bit so that you're not facing the person directly on. You know, a lot of studies have shown time and again, if you're facing a person on, some people can perceive that as a, as a confrontational stance. So we, we blade mm -hmm. your body uh, for a couple of reasons. One, so it's less confrontational. And two, it's, it's, it pre presents less of a target for the person that's in front of you. And all to, you know, offsetting your stance, getting into that L stance that we have is... It also gives you the ability to to maneuver, right? To pivot. It's a, it's a better base for your body, a little bit of a bend at the knees, a better base for your body, and and then allows you to pivot, you know, kind of in a direction. Mm. If you need to make a maneuver one way or another, if there's a sudden, seemingly sudden and surprise attack, that allows you to move in, in one direction or another. Something else that we use as a safe working position are, are where are your hands? People, some people put their hands in their pockets, people put their hands behind them. And what are you doing with your hands? We want people to have uh, if, if we walk into a room and we see somebody with their hands behind their back, what is that? What do, what do we think? We're like, well, I don't know what they've got in their hands. I don't know what they're hiding. I don't know what they're going to do. So, and the same works for us that we have to think about what we're doing and how they're perceiving that as well. So we want to make sure our hands are out, out in front of us, open and relaxed, right? And, and off yeah. the way so they can see that we're not presenting any kind of a risk or threat to them. Right? So, mm -hmm. and, and we like to see the same out of them. Um, and then the other thing is really distance, you know, and these are, again, this is just a very baseline thing is we want to maintain at least a six foot distance and, and make that assessment of the person. If we're talking to them and are escalating, then we've got room between us and them. So if they're going to attack, they've got some, we've got some room to maneuver. We also like to be closer to the door than they are. So we don't want them blocking us. So those are some very basic simple right. tips that, uh, things that we encourage is our basic, that's a foundational stuff of what we do in our, in our program. And, and we move on. But, but continually and throughout the program, we're always assessing things we talk through is who understand, helping you understand who you are as a person and what mm -hmm. you're bringing to the conversation and to the discussion. It's a, it's a two-way street. It's, not, it's an interaction, not just a dictation. Um, it's an interaction. Right. So we have to understand that there's, there's three parts of that, right? That the, per, the person, the patient or the person who's getting aggressive, the staff member who's there, and, and the environment that we're working in. So we kind of address mm -hmm. all three of those aspects. And we talk about all three of those uh, in the classroom. You know, and, and, right. and throughout. Yeah, and that that leads in nicely to my next question, which is: I know a lot of the conversation about workplace violence is obviously centered around the healthcare workers who are experiencing those instances of violence. But when you implement these programs, it also benefits the patient, right? It's helping the patient be safer. Jennifer, can you speak to that a little bit? I mean, both of you, honestly, like, how does this help patients just as much as it helps healthcare workers when you have a safer environment? Uh, yeah, I think all the examples that he described um, help to portray the healthcare worker as a better listener, and they're open to hearing what the patient is upset about, um, trying to talk things through, getting their perspective um, so that they can try to solve the problem before it gets too out of hand. 
Absolutely. Stephen, anything you'd add there about how it benefits the patient? Oh, absolutely. It's it's one of those, when, when people show up in a healthcare setting, you know, we often say this. I, and so so a family member of mine recently, you know, sometime in the last six months or so, I won't give the person away. You know who you are. But I ended up in the emergency department for, uh, you know, a, a surprise medical issue. Surprise. So I went over there to support them. And as I sat in the room with them, the doctor came in and said, here's what I need you to do. You don't know me but I need you to take, you know, all your stuff, all your items are going to be off to the side. I need you to take off your clothes and, and put on this gown, that kind of stuff. And, 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 and we remind people that when people show up to a healthcare environment, and I use that example with my family member, when people show up to a healthcare environment, they are often losing a sense of control. There's all the stress that comes involved, is involved with their experience there. What, what, what's going to happen to me? Like, I don't know what the medical issue is going to be. What are the financial implications of this? What are going to happen to my two cats at our home? How long am I going to be here? All these things that are coming into play that, that maybe they may not articulate, but is in the back of their head. And then here's a, here's a healthcare worker with, in, the, in the best of intentions wanting to come in there and, and really do their work. But just understanding, helping the healthcare worker, just reminding them, and they know it uh, day in and day out, mm-hmm. but just reminding them that, that this stress is happening there, nothing that they've done. And so not only is it some of those physical things that we talk about as well, but, but how they are talking to people as well in the, in the tone. And, you know, of course, we think about the different parts of communication and it's just verbal, but are nonverbal as well. Right. Uh, all through, you know, and kind of reminding people that all through COVID, how did we dress? How did healthcare workers dress when they went into rooms? And that was certainly scary times, especially at the outset of COVID. I kind of joke like everybody, healthcare workers, we all walked into the rooms like Darth Vader. You know, we were all suited up, also, you know, just the, the heavy breathing, but all the nonverbal, which is most of our communication was hidden from that person that was in the room. And not only were they scared with this unknown virus, but we were scared as healthcare workers going in there and we wanted little contact with them. We wanted to, because we didn't know, we don't want to risk ourselves. We don't risk our own family members. Lots, lots of unknowns, lots of uncertainty, lots of tension that was created there. But so not only, so we were losing a lot of that nonverbal, but the verbal side of things, how do we talk to people? One of the examples we kind of give is how do we talk to people as we, we demonstrate sometimes in the class of the way we're saying things. So if I were to say to um, one of my daughters, you know, if I would say, hey, pick up your shoes. Like, we ask them, like, how does that sound? You know, and we talk through, like, how did I sound? What did I, what was my, what was my intention there? How did I sound? Those kind of things. Like, what was the, what was the flow of right. my speech? How did my speech come out? As opposed to pick up your shoes. How do I say <laughs> right. there? Same language. Right. <laughs> totally different. Yeah. You know, totally different <laughs> message delivered. So just reminding people yeah. that 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 our the way we're delivered, way we're talking, can really affect the message that we're presenting. So, um, so a variety of things in there that we see as well. Yeah, communication is everything. And I think that having a, an environment where both the healthcare worker and the patient feel safe is probably a huge piece of addressing that mistrust between provider and patient that exists for some communities. So I appreciate you saying that. And Jennifer, I am curious, having partnered with HSS, I know that you shared some of the programming that you've implemented, but what lessons learned would you pass along to others who might be considering uh, the programming? Well, I would just say that it was an extremely, extremely valuable experience. I think that the backgrounds of the individuals that came up and did the assessment had some very unique perspectives. We had um, military, we had law enforcement, we had hospital security. So having those outside eyes with that additional experience was very valuable to us. 
um, to start out with, they looked at our policies and made recommendations on those. And, and like the soup to nuts evaluation that Stephen mentioned, mm-hmm. they were here for two and a half days. They did a, a full um, tour of our facility of our surrounding clinics that we have both in the daylight and at nighttime so that they can go and look at, at lighting to see what they can see from the outside looking inside um, to see where we have weaknesses. And um, they came back with uh three top recommendations, which we've been working on, and, and, and several others as well, which we've pretty much completed. But their three top recommendations was to do the de-escalation training. So we've completed that. We did the online. We purchased that and incorporated it into our hospital's online learning uh, program. And then we did the themed uh, advanced training, just ended that in October so that's the physical uh, self-protection training, um, and staff really appreciated that. We made that available for most of our front-facing staff and anybody else that wanted to be in on it. We have our own ambulance, so we uh, included those people there as well because they have their own set of circumstances that they have to deal with on the outside um, when they don't have a lot of people around to, to back them up. We uh, are in the process of drilling now because one of the other recommendations was to have a security response team. So once we did the training, got those people all trained, identified a security response team, which we um, got through volunteers. We put a notice out and we were very fortunate to have a lot of people that were willing to be on that team. Um, Now we're in the process of, of practicing or setting up drills so that we can practice what we learned. Um, um, Another thing that we're we're in the process of doing is incorporating a mass communication system Mm. so that when something happens, we can perhaps text everyone if they're willing to receive it on their phone or get an email. Um, We had a situation a couple of months back where we had a patient in the ER, a woman, and her significant other was out in the parking lot and had called and, and made some threatening comments to a nurse. And so um, we called law enforcement, but we also went into a modified lockdown because we didn't want him coming into the building. Um, right. Law enforcement was able to get him off the grounds, but as long as that patient was in the ER, we felt that there was a threat. So we continued that modified lockdown throughout the night and into the next morning until she ended up being uh, discharged. And um, what happened was that people that were coming in at four or five in the morning in the dark didn't know that that was going on. Mm-hmm. And had we had this communication system, it would have been much better as far as them perhaps being more vigilant of their surroundings when they came in. So right. that's our that's what we're working on right now. I know you said that the response from the healthcare teams at McKenzie has been really positive. Have you gotten actual feedback from the teams? Are they really excited for the trainings that are upcoming or have they you know, thanked the team for for going as far as bringing HSS in. What has the reaction been? Yeah, they have been very appreciative of of the team that's come in, especially the um, the ER staff. They've really mentioned how they appreciate having the effort made. Um, they've learned from it. They know what they can do, how they can do it. Like like Stephen said, it's self protection. So we're about protecting our staff, and this is what you can do if you're in certain certain situations. And they learned that and they practiced that in the class and we'll continue to practice that in our drills. Absolutely. That's wonderful to hear. 
And the last question I have for the two of you is just, I'm, I'm curious what tips, I know, Stephen, you mentioned a couple very specific tips on the de-escalation side, but what other tips do you have for hospitals and health systems when it comes to addressing workplace violence? Jennifer, if you want to kick us off with that question, being in a hospital, what's your advice or wisdom that you would leave folks with? I would say learn from your experiences, learn from your staff. They're your frontline eyes and ears. Um, they're the ones that are most at risk for the most part. Um, so listen to them, listen to what their concerns are. Let them know what you've done, what you're doing, and let them know that you're interested in having their continued feedback so that we can continue improvement. Absolutely. That's great advice. Stephen, what about you? Yeah, it's the same thing. We have, you know, one of the things that we do when we show up to the hospital that, that is that we try to, no matter what, what programming that we're going to be doing, whether it's our workplace violence, the de-escalation program, our active shooter, or even doing the security assessments, is, is we listen to the hospital. We want to know where they're at. We want to understand them and the environment and the culture of that hospital before we make any recommendations. We want to know where they're at with where what they have now, at what they've done, and where they want to go. And so because, you know, while there's some very some best practices, this is a very common some very common themes with, with programs and, and implementation and, and practices with stuff that, that, that you need, that each hospital has its own unique character, right? It's only culture. So we try to understand that uh, with them as well. So we, we, that's our foundation. So we have a, a decent understanding of what it is that they have uh, a decent understanding of the way they operate. Uh, once we're, once we show up on site. So even before, if we're going to do those security assessments and even again with the other ones, we, we talk to them ahead of time. We look at their policies. They said we look at their policies as it relates to hiring, firing, um, uh, training, and, and then and we evaluate that so we can kind of get an understanding of what it is. And as we're looking at those training policies, we can kind of see where they're at. And we have those interviews with them ahead of time as well. We often talk to, whether it's Jen or whoever we talk to in advance uh, about that, we get, get a feel for what's, what, what the issues are. And then when we're on site, as Jennifer said, it's, it is absolutely, I mean, people, the staff members feel appreciated that we're there talking to them, um, that we sit down with them. And, and one of the hardest things that we have, whether actually, whether we're doing the active shooter training and we go unit to unit, or we're doing our security assessments and we're doing interviews there. Once, once people learn we're on site, everybody wants us there, right? Because they want to talk to us. They want to have the practice, the skills there, especially with the active shooter stuff. We see that little bit of a buildup afterwards that they're like, you're, you're leaving already. We, you know, we, we want to get more of this. Um, uh, please don't go because uh, we, we like what you're doing and we like the training and the attention that we're getting. So absolutely. That is really, it feels empowering for people because they have, their voices are being heard. And we do remind people that this is a proactive maneuver often by hospital leadership and then everybody there. That, that we're there because they want us there to keep them as safe as possible. So that really sends a powerful message to all the employees that uh, throughout the system that, 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 that the leadership it cares for them, right? And that they're trying to do the things that they can by, the, by having an outside, often by having that outside eyes come looking for it. Um, so it has been nothing but uh, a positive uh, support uh, time and again. Yeah, I think that's a really great way to put it and emphasize that it's not just one thing. It's many yeah, things. Yeah, I would say that just like the recent uh, law change, right, just that, that everything requires ongoing work. We can't, when we do emergency management work, we don't complete the plan and put it on the shelf and it just sits there. We're like, oh, I'm done with that. What else can I do? Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a, it requires uh, an ongoing commitment um, to, to safety and that, and that they're all pieces of a puzzle 
for this comprehensive program. There's no thing, no thing is just one thing. It requires all these various labor, layers and everybody, um, everybody coming together to, 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 to have a successful, uh, comprehensive, safe place. Um, you know, we kind of, one of the things that you'll, you'll often see in security language as they talk about like security and safety is, is three parts of the puzzle there. It's, it's the stuff we buy, the equipment that we buy and that we use, whether it's surveillance, access control, visitor management systems, um, signage, whatever that's going to be, it's the stuff. It's the policies that are there um, that we have to, what, I have the stuff, what, what do we want people to do with it, right? We're having those policies in there, how are we maintaining that? Uh, who's responsible for maintaining that? So it's the policies or the stuff, the policies, and then at the end of the day, the people who are managing it and using those and interacting with those, those pieces of technology. Do they know what they're supposed to do with it? Do they use it? Do they understand it, you know, and, and, and are they comfortable using it um, and, and know the limitations of it as, as well? So i really kind of just knowing it, it's just requires that ongoing commitment. Right. I just want to say it's the work of both of you that also plays such a huge role in this. And I just want to thank you so much for being here today. Um, where can our listeners go to learn more about your organization? Stephen, where can we go to learn more about HSS? I know we have a page uh, dedicated to your organization as an endorsed business partner at MHA.org, but where else our can we go? Our website is hss-us.com. Uh, last year, we joined forces with the Tarian Group. So if you go to Tarian, it's T-A-R-I-A-N group.com. Um, so either tariangroup.com or hss-us.com. Um, those are our websites. Um, our workforce are on uh, all the socials, right? Instagram, LinkedIn, um, Facebook, things like that. So we're on all those sites as well. Perfect. And Jennifer, where can we go to learn more about McKenzie Health System? Sure. You can visit our website at mckenziehealth.org. Um, we also are on social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Love that. Perfect. Well, I just want to close by thanking you both again uh, for being here and lending your expertise to this really important discussion. And I hope that we have the opportunity to connect again soon. But it's just been such a pleasure. Thank you both. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you very much, Lucy. It's been, uh, it's been an honor to be here. With that, I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in and encourage, as always, that you check out the episode's description to learn more about this topic and workplace safety resources that are available through organizations like HSS and McKenzie Health System. Being that the partnership was made possible through funding from Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan, we urge hospitals interested in receiving this kind of support to submit their OSHA data to the MHA Keystone Center. Members with questions about the program or consideration requirements can reach out to the MHA Keystone Center PSO at keystonepso at mha.org. We also appreciate you subscribing to the podcast on any and all streaming platforms and encourage you visit mha.org to stay up to date on all the great work Michigan hospitals and health systems are doing across the state. Thanks, and we'll be back next month.